This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Imma. I live in Scotland. Hi, I'm Jen and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola Banji and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki and I live in Paris. Hey, I'm Rod. I'm from Peru. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. Hi, I'm Liki. Hi, I'm Imma. Hi, I'm Steve. Hi, I'm Catherine. Hi, I'm Tanya. So maybe someone wants to say a few words about the difference between weather and climate. The difference between weather and climate is that climate is over the long term, many centuries of weather patterns, whereas weather is what we see out our window right now. What's happening, it's raining, it's snowing, it's sunny, that's weather, what's happening in the moment or what weather might happen tomorrow or the next day. But climate is what's going to happen next year and next decade. Climate is also broader in geographic sense of um, weather is, my weather here is not the same weather as in the town next to me, but the climate for my area is the same. So climate is broader than weather. The visual um, from one of the right resources in the footnotes was very helpful for the NOAA resource uh, that showed climate being a like a closet. You, you Like for this time of year, you usually wear this. But for today, weather, they had examples of, um, you know, what you would wear for the current weather outside your door, you know, the current conditions outside your door. Uh, that was a helpful visual. Yeah, no, that is that is helpful because there, there are a bunch of things that you put away when the weather goes colder, and going into the winter you put 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 them away because you don't you don't need your shorts, you don't need your 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 lighter weight clothes because we're going into a different time of the year, and the, the climate is it's an interesting thing because it, it it is the geography of an area that determines that in lots of ways, and and I think there are things like mountain ranges and how close you are to the the oceans that are going to affect the climate because if, you, if you've got pre- prevailing winds and you can then end up with things that are the the shadows or the, the, the areas where you're going to get much milder weather, where you're going to get much harsher weather because you've got the strong northerly winds that are going to, going to be driving in the colder weather. Where, where we are at the moment is, is in a valley that's roughly north-south and it's really quite interesting the way that the weather changes very quickly and you notice quite often how the the wind is coming from a different direction. Ah, it's changed around. I'm now getting the wind from the north, and you can feel how cold it is. And the prevailing wind for us over here, where where I am in South Wales, is actually from the southwest, and it tends to be coming off the sea, which is not too far from where we are. So it's very wet, generally. And if it's coming from the north, it's different. And if it's coming from the east, it's much drier. So all of those things are to do with the weather, which we experience daily. But but the climate we have here is the kind of the bigger picture geography, uh, the mountain ranges and, and proximity to the oceans and the sea. So 
often we, we, we just switch the terms around, don't we? We, we mix them together, uh, which does get a bit more confusing. <laughs> For me, in, in the area I work uh, with wines, um, we work with climate because the wine areas in the world has to do with climate. So there is a Mediterranean climate. You know what to expect. The, the growers know what to expect there. And nowadays, it's a bit crazy because it's in the middle of spring um, or even summer, and they got hailstones. In the Champagne area, for example, has been two years in a row. In that. So that is weather, but it has to do with climate change. Talking about wine, in Burgundy, uh, it's where you get the most expensive wines in the world. And they have very small plots of land. There's a term for that, which is clima, which means climate. Because when you grow your uh, your grapes there, you know exactly what type of wine you'll get. Because they say, oh, there's microclimate in this part of plot. So it's that's why it's called climate. But I think that uh, they will have to make this term evolve uh, a little bit. I think that it's not just for Burgundy plots of, of vineyards. I think it's happening all over the world that there are places where microclimates are also changing because of climate change. So in, in my use, you said that you're working in the area of wine. And is, is that something that you've been seeing has changed over time, that, that the kind of uh, wines that are being produced, the places where that, that's happening have, have kind of shifted slightly because the climate of that area has changed? Yeah, no, it's not just slightly. It's, it's, a, very <laughs> big, it's a very big, has been. Right. Uh, for example, in Brazil, now you can get two crops in a year. Wow. Wow. Not good ones, obviously, because no. <laughs> to make wine, you need time and, and grapes need time to develop all the compounds, but you can get two crops. So it's a, that's a big change. Places where historically has been wine, wine growers, winemakers and grape growers like Holland or Austria, or now they are really, really enjoying the weather <laughs> because of climate change. They, they used to have snow everywhere in winter that they're not having that right now. So not so much. Yeah, I, I think it affects this industry, but I think it, this climate change also affects our personal lives. I'm sure that we all have memories of things that happened in the past, and we associate it with a certain type of weather. And now it's not happening the same way anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Um, in Usually around here in December, it's cold. It's really cold which used to be a lot of fun but and then it the cold lasts for a while last for december sometimes through january but last year it was very short we didn't even we almost did not experience the cold at all and that usually is what makes it holiday we know it's holiday when it's really cold but it, it it didn't seem much like holiday because it was it was hot and it's still it's still hotter than usual right now. But is it a pattern that you see every year now, or it's just happened one time? Ah, uh, well, this just happened one time, which was last year, two years ago. I think it's just been reducing over time. Oh. Um, but yeah, last year was the shortest we've seen so far. I mean, as far as I know. For us, it's kind of the opposite. We, Where I live in Vancouver, 
British Columbia, we're used to very moderate temperatures. So year round, we don't have a lot of fluctuation or uh, difference between our coldest temperature and our warmest temperature. Um, but now over the past, I would say 10 summers, it's getting hotter and hotter in the summer. And whereas we're used to not having air conditioners yeah. and still like I still have a, a spring coat that I used to wear year round. Now summers are hot and everybody's buying air conditioners. Everybody's uh, putting different things in their homes to keep them cool as opposed to before it would be, you know, we'd not even need any anything. It would be pretty much the same. And that, that's definitely a thing that has changed here. We, we're getting more used to hot summers, whereas that's something that just wasn't happening in the past so much. And out here in Southern California, we have a lot of drought. Um, every Every year, we just have a lot of drought. And last week, they announced um, that some of the counties will only be able to water, the homes in these counties will only be able to water one day a week. And that's supposed to start June 1st. And, uh, and the water that these counties rely on, you know, at Lake Powell and all that out in the, in the desert up in Arizona, there at the border, it's their record lows. And the water level has breached that 35-foot buffer, you know, that safe area for emergencies, and it keeps dropping. And so I imagine uh, that, you know, one day we may just see a warm shower being part of a hotel package, you know, as a, as a luxury perk, because it's really, it's really bad. <laughs> and it sounds silly. But I also think that's also very realistic if things continue and if people don't, you know, don't choose to manage their water use, right? And then for you also, the risk of forest fire because of the drought is scary. Mm -hmm. And now with your reservoirs being so low, you wonder where they're going to get the water to put out the fires. Mm -hmm. it's, it seems like a vicious cycle. Yes, it is a vicious cycle. Yes, and the fires get bigger and bigger every year. Also here, I, I've noticed in the last three years maybe that the flowers coming in spring opened really, really quick and there are no, still no bees around. Oh. Because it's too soon. This year, even before the leaves are out, the flowers are flowering. Yeah. We have this thing um, in France. Uh, I don't know what it's called. I'm going to show it to you, and you're going to tell me what it's called. It looked like Lily of the Valley. And so this is this is a tradition in France that we buy this and give it to you know to to wish happiness to to women in France on first of May because it's it's a very delicate flower you see in the woods and you'll find it uh, the flower in a certain period of time around the 1st of May. And this year, and actually I've been seeing it, this pattern over and over, um, we get it sooner and sooner. I think I got those, I mean, those I got it on the 1st of May, but um, the first time I saw this in, in the woods were maybe sometime in April. And it was really alarming, you know? It's like daffodils. You get the flowers in March, but I think I've seen them sometime in February. It's very, because you've got 
complicated interactions because it, it's the amount of water as well as the amount of sun and the overall background temperature. And some of the plants seem to respond to one of those things more than others. And then you've got the birds and sometimes the birds are coming out. We've got some cuckoos around at the moment, which which are here, but they've traveled. So they've actually come from from Africa. They've, they've flown up and over and across and uh, they probably come, come past you, Leaky. They probably waved as they came past you um, <laughs> uh, and traveled across. And now they're in, in the, the southwest area in the UK. The, the dates are going to vary a bit. And I heard a, an interesting an account of a place in Oxford, uh, Oxfordshire, where they, an area of woodland where they've been monitoring birds. Uh, it was uh, great tits in particular, but it was it was since 1947, I think it was, certainly the 1940s. They've been monitoring every year when these birds are laying the first egg. Mm-hmm. In the, so they've got nest boxes and various things. They're able to monitor, and they've been watching. And this year is compared to 1940s, is like 28 days earlier. So it's warmer. It's you know everything is coming earlier, and that's that's 28 days really. That's 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 quite a shift, isn't a it? That you can't see that year by year. It might be a little bit different, a little bit here, a little bit there. But because you've got that long term record, you can see that there's a a definite shift happening. Yeah, there is that uh, website, the project called Bud Burst, that monitors how the changes in plants when they're flowering. You know, when they go into bud and all that. It's over over many years' time. Yeah, that's that study that. Yeah, that track that. It's this big citizen science project, but I'm sure there's one for ornithologists as well for the birders and all that. Yeah. The climate is really changing, and it's a big deal because the the way we experience everything is is just changing. The way we experience seasons are changing the way we experience food the way we experience um a i I read a blog post that says climate is what you expect and weather is what you get what we expect is delivered to us in what we get typically and if we expect something and we don't get it, it it just changes the way we do things on a whole new scale it's just like sleep when you have a constant time you sleep you your body is trained to understand that that's when you sleep and you have a time that you wake up and so seasons are like that we ex- we expect fruits at certain times we expect the holidays at certain times we expect many of these things they form the the experiences our human experiences in general and so when these things are changing without we expecting that they're going to change it it just alters our experience as humans, um, I mean, on different levels. And and that really is a big deal. Um, and I think a lot of people are experiencing it differently, just like we're, we're seeing here. Um, oh, the climate is changing. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that our lives has been, as you said, our lives have been organized uh, around a certain expectation of weather. Like, you know, we're talking a lot about adaptation and coping mechanism, but so many things need to change. Like, you know, just look at our built environment, look at the buildings, the houses we live in. I mean, it's just crazy. If we the climate changes, and it is changing, and the houses that we've been living in, and I live in a very old house. It's been built like 100 years ago, and 
does it mean that we need to turn it down and build a new one? It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think that there's a lot of, <laughs> I think that we're going to do a lot more. We probably will do a lot more than we're anticipating because on one hand, we're saying we need to protect the ecosystem from the changes that we're experiencing so that we we don't experience these changes as, as much. And so there's the Carbon Almanac that says, hey, read, here's how to protect the earth or preserve the ecosystem that we have right now. And we're doing that on one hand, but I think on the other hand, we also have to, I don't know, find ways to be ready for what is already changing because this is going to be gradual. If we're, we're going to make progress to ensure that we don't experience too many more changes. But right now, we're already experiencing changes and chances are we will experience, we'll continue to experience them for a while, even maybe before things take a turn. And so I, I think we're, it's, it's a two-sided thing here. If I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> a lot of the memories we've got, I guess the strongest ones go back to when we were children. And when we were younger, we would kind of remember things. Do you remember those really long, hot summers uh, when we weren't at school? We had the school vacations, the, the holidays. And I think, well, I, yeah, but that's is, – what is that to do with my memory? <laughs> kind of painting it as, as this amazing thing that was a long, hot summer because I didn't have any responsibilities, whereas now <laughs> – you know, I'm, I'm working all the way through the year. It seems I don't I don't have that long yeah. six week six week break in, in the middle. So some of those early memories are are kind of slightly suspect, maybe. But in the I, I grew up in the northeast of England, so it's further north, and there is a difference, and it's probably a few weeks in terms of the temperature difference. So that so the things that would be um, fruiting, for example, so blackberries. So uh, they grow and they produce the fruit. Now, in the school terms, because that was the connection uh, in terms of the, when, I, when I was a child, there was the, the main school term, you've got the, you go back in September, and then the half term between, you know, between the two. And this is the problem. Of, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people who have got a different kind of school timetable, and, and I'm using words you might not recognize, but it's halfway between... Uh, starting after the the summer and and finishing for Christmas, kind of the holiday period then. So it's a half term, so it's halfway there. And that week that that we used to have off was called Blackberry Week. It was kind of a nickname for it. And that's when you pick, you went and picked black, blackberries. That's when they were fruiting. So that was when? That was going to be kind of October-ish? No, 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 no. They're way before then now. So, but they're, they're way before that now. I mean, here we 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 getting sort of sometimes you can start to get if if it's a sunny spot, you can start to have them in July. But so it's certainly in August, that whole thing seems to have slid and come a lot earlier. And uh, what does that do for the ecology of the animals that rely on the birds and the and the animals that are relying on the fruit being at a time which builds them up enough to go through the winter but it's a long way from the winter <laughs> if they're coming a lot earlier they're not having the food stores or the, you know feeding themselves up so there's a definite effect and some of that we're not going to see today or you know notice in a short term it's going to be that long term effect See, that's the tricky thing about climate is that it's all incremental. It's all 
long-term small things building up and we don't notice them just like with the carbon in the air we're not noticing every day that it's getting to be a little bit more but it is you know every day our climate's changing just that little bit more that's imperceptible but yet there it is and 10 years from now when you know we're having a heat dome here in Vancouver in March it's going to be oh well that's something that's shocking to us but it's actually been coming for the last 10 years yeah it has a compound effect compound effect yeah it's it's like you know i used to go skiing on easter holiday i love that because it's the end of skiing season and um it's very sunny it's not too cold um and it's cheap. <laughs> it's the cheapest period to go skiing. <laughs> and I used to do that, but I think the last time I went skiing for Easter was probably 15 years ago. Because now there's no more snow on the ski resorts in Easter. And so now what we do is that we try to go, you know, when it's really deep in winter, which is, uh, which is December. But even going skiing in December, you take a risk because sometimes there's no snow for a whole week. It's something that is unheard of. Like, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago, you know that when you go skiing in December for Christmas, there's no, there's no question about it. There's no. But now, every time we book for, for ski holiday for Christmas, we always have this, you know, this thinking, okay, is it going to be snow? And I've been talking to people, you know, that, live in this resort and uh, they need to rethink of the way they work and how they develop their, their services. You know, it's um, it's really a seasonal kind of business and um, it's gradually, it's year after year and uh, now probably our children will not be able to ski anymore unless, you know, they have to go very, very high and um, maybe with fake snow and all that, you know. Yeah. So do they make a lot of snow at the ski resorts there or not? Because they do that a lot. Well, here, that's how they operate. Yes, they do. Um, but the ski resorts are quite big. And so they do it on some slopes, you know, on a tiny slope or a few of them, which is not very good, you know, which is really not good because uh, it uses a lot of resources and energy to, to make the snow. No, I think it was uh, Catherine, you said that's to your Catherine's point earlier that that is an, a good example of a adaptation, right? Something that we create to cope. It's a coping mechanism, right? It doesn't address the reason for the problems, right? Or go deeper than that. I understand the need to make snow. Yeah. It's a recreation decision. It's a business decision. I under, I can understand that. But really go, if we went beyond that. Yeah, exactly what, what I was thinking is that we're trying to adapt to maintain our status quo. We're trying to make adaptations so we can still do the things that we've always done instead of forward thinking, what do we need to do for a future that maybe doesn't involve snow? Maybe skiing isn't a thing that we can do anymore. Instead of trying to make it so, how can we still ski? Mm. I think a huge paradigm shift has to happen in our thinking. That's right. But, but how do you tell someone that, hey, you can't ski anymore? <laughs> yeah. How do you tell Liki that you won't be able to ski anymore? That's, uh, that's hard. But yeah, I, I get it. It's needed. It is. When we were working on the children's book, we had a, 
page in there that talked about Minecraft and the energy your computer takes when you use these computer games. And one of our child editors had said, we were scaring kids enough with this. We can't also tell them they can't play Minecraft anymore. Yeah. You know, we, we have to adapt, but maybe not to the point where nobody listens to us anymore because those are things that they're just not going to do. So you're right, Olabanja, we need to have a, uh, we need to have a way to do it that doesn't make people not listen anymore. I think news like last week's news makes people more aware. It becomes something, a topic to discuss, but I don't know to what extent that it really changes people's behavior. I don't know. I don't have a feel for that. I'm not a judge of that. The water districts know. They have a sense of if people are changing their behaviors or not. You know, they're going to find people for you know, using too much water. And so that creates its own issues, right? <laughs> and its own dynamic when you start finding people for using too much water. Um, because there are six million homes affected by this change. Or, for example, Tanya, uh, have, I don't know if you're in the agricultural zone with the avocados. I had read an article recently about how much water an avocado plantation takes, but yet um, a lot of the water that the cities need is being diverted to these farms because avocado is such a cash crop. Have you noticed anything like that there as far as agriculture? Um, yes, in in Riverside, we are the source of the navel navel orange. That's Riverside's history, and the the original orange tree is actually well gated and protected. But yes, that's true. Uh, that is uh, true. And I forget how many acre feet of water it takes to, you know, to water the citrus groves and the avocados and all that. That is absolutely, yeah. That's happening. That's a that's a reality. There's the cash crop issue. There's the food issue. There's yeah yeah. I don't know. It's very complex. All the decisions that are being made. When I was a child, I'm from the south of Spain. We have drought. We have 48, 50, 50 degrees Celsius. Easy in summer, but not now. Now it's even worse because it starts before summer. But I was a child and it was like that. But we 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 always had a problem with water. Uh, there is no much rain there. And I do remember the common conscience of everyone cutting the water uh, or, or wasting water at all. And it was a culture of, about it. And it, there, it wasn't a government saying, oh, you need to cut your water. You need to cut your use of water. No, it was the, the population, the, the population in all that area that was aware that... Uh, because it was no water, they had to do it properly. I think once water stops flowing freely through the through the faucet, people who are kind of brushing it off might pay more attention. Hopefully, right. But if you look at the reservoirs, you know, you follow the news, you see how things are changing. People are getting rid of their lawns and and chewing those types of very observable changes. Um, stuff like that is observable. What they do that is not observable, like, uh, you know, how they shower, wash dishes, do laundry, all that type of things. You know, we don't know the water district, right? Those folks would know, would have a better sense of what is happening. But in terms of lawns and stuff, there are a lot of people getting rid of their lawns. 
Yeah, that is that is clear. I guess for some of this stuff, there's a disconnect, isn't there, between cause and effect. So we can see the effect, but we don't recognize that we're part of the cause. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So that we, why would I change my behavior to change the weather? I can't control the weather. And that's true. But the overall climate, that shift is, is something that's not to do with what I did yesterday, but is what we've been doing for quite some time. Over a long period of time, there's been a, a shift. And we have to adapt, and those, those things are the things that we'll do. But the underlying principle of conserving and protecting is something that we just have to adjust our thinking so that all the time, not just because, you know, if the water, we turn the tap and there's no more water comes out, then clearly there's a problem. And I think if you live in an area, as you were saying, if you're living in an area where it's just normal, then people automatically do that. Here in the, the in, in South Wales, we get a lot of rain and it's very green uh, just because that's the nature of the climate. But things are shifting. And I'm looking out of my window, even as we speak now, literally, and I'm looking on the lake and it is probably a meter and a half or more down off its normal level. Never had it as low as this this earlier in the year. Later in the, in the summer, often it would dry out. It's just because it's been fed by a river, which has been fed by the, the higher ground, which is sort of the catchment. And it comes down and through, and it's just not coming through. <laughs> it's stopping. There's a slight flow, but not. And the, the lake is just drying out. That's a significant change, I feel. Now, it's this year. Now, it wasn't like that last year, as early as this, but it, there's a general drift in the, the years we've lived here. That's what's been happening. It's been tending to get drier and the, the lake is tending to go down a lot quicker. I guess we adjust, but how do we step into control? Well, we can't change the weather. We can't change the climate. Not on a day-by-day -day basis, maybe, but we have to think about it in the longer term. Yeah, some of these significant changes are scary and they communicate an urgency because when you have the lake down by meter and half, then there are probably tens and hundreds of lakes that are down as well. And it's just urgent. The speed at which we need to respond is... There's more demand on the speed at which we need to respond to these changes because we've caused them over a, a period of time and we're seeing the effect. But right now, we have to reverse it faster than we caused it because if, if we don't, then the changes we're experiencing are going to become worse because the technology that caused these changes in the first place are advancing. They are increasing there's more tech there's more um tragic convenience if i if i can put it that way things that seemingly make our lives easy but contribute negatively to the ecosystem and then we're, we have we're having children that don't see life the way we saw or we see life because they are I mean, they're coming at this point where everything is there to make life convenient for them. And so they are going to pretty much live a convenient life, which is a very, hopefully not so carbon heavy, but that's what it's going to seem like um, eventually. I, I don't know, but the urgency, do we have the wherewithal, the, the capacity to respond at the speed that we need to, if we're really going to save the planet? Because 
it's it's urgent. We can't reverse it at the pace that we created it. We have to reverse it faster than than it took for some of these things to happen. I I don't know. It's just it's it's some crazy stuff. <laughs> Uh, but you know what, Olivanji, I have hope because of the people that I've met who are so dedicated to addressing this problem. And I know that here at the Carbon Almanac Network, we are a small group right now, relatively. But I think worldwide, there are so many people, like as shown with the climate um, protests, the when the people were doing the climate protests on Fridays, how many people showed up. It was it was very heartening to see that many people together for this common cause. I think we just need the strategies to be able to start to tackle the bigger systemic issues, such as the economy and, and our political systems, which quite honestly is going to be very tough. Like you said, it's, it seems almost insurmountable right now, but I believe that's how change is going to be made by people like us and our listeners who believe that change is possible. And when we all work together, it's going to happen and we keep the hope. Yeah. Yeah. There's hope. Conversations like this, it tells us that there's hope. I mean, the many podcasts we see the, and, and this one right here and all the people, like you said, that are caring and, every single day showing up to lend their voices and raise their hands to climate causes. Yeah, that's right. They, they, they give us hope. Hopefully we, we can, um, we can make a change. Let's we hope that it's enough, but I, but I believe that we were making a significant change. Yeah. I'm, I'm optimistic. That's the word. <laughs> I think first, we need to acknowledge, accept that there's a link between our behavior and uh, and climate change and our environment in general. First, we need to acknowledge that and um, spread the word. Then we have also have to acknowledge that we cannot do it by ourselves, but if we get ourselves organized, we can do things, we can change things. So that's, as you said, it's, um, it gives me hope. It's inspiring too. These conversations inspire me. Being around, being in this room right here, having this conversation with with you guys, it inspires me. Seeing all the threads, the thousands of threads, discussing things that are forward as regards the climate, they all inspire me. You know, seeing people raise their hands, give their time, which is a really great value. I mean, we have people, everybody, you know, doctors, everyday people, just everybody, regardless of the sphere of life that you you are in, are making contributions to this. So that inspires me and it, it gives me the energy to be here and raise my hand as well. And I hope it does to people listening too, um, because that, that really is is the hope that we have that someone listens and tells someone else and then someone listens and tells someone else and we all just we all just start knowing and, and doing and, and caring about these things. Yeah. So thank you for inspiring me. 
Yeah, that's something that's, I agree with you, Olabanji, that's, I've learned through this experience working with the Carbon Almanac Network is that there are so many people from so many different sectors and fields and job titles and um, different journeys in, in life, you know, different stages in life who really passionately care and want to have these conversations and feel it's important that people have these conversations. And that's why they put so much energy into making the book as, you know, so thoughtful and so helpful too, right? When I think back of how the book was built and all of the conversations that were happening, you know, just speeding across the screen. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was just, it was just wild. And so, and so, yeah, you know, you tend to think in, especially in environmental education, you think that there's a, there's a group of like-minded people, an obvious group of like-minded people. But what this experience has shown me is that there is a much wider group of like-minded people. And it really, um, takes the, um, it really was um, eye-opening and really good to see. I love that, Tanya, because that's one thing about the, the Almanac is that we're from all corners of the globe, but yet we had this one place that we could all come together to connect, and it didn't matter uh, where you were. If you had a computer, you could be a part of the project. And so I think for people out there who maybe feel that they are disconnected because their community around them isn't on the same page as them as far as, as climate change. They, there are people out there in the world who they can connect with. Steve, do you want to wrap this up? Yeah, so, we, so we, we've been talking about things to do with weather and the difference between the weather and the climate and, and how the climate is, is so crucial to the things of the future, the things that will affect us in our lives. And first thing we need to do is to notice. And I think that's that's something we've been recognizing. The, the stories of our of our past, particularly going back further back into to when we were young uh, and children, there are things about that, that that are really significant. And we've noticed that there are there are things that are happening and are changing. But we've also identified that there's hope for the future. It's not a just a isn't everything terrible and gloomy? But there are things, and we will have to adapt, but there are things that we can do to change, which in the long term will also help rebalance things and hopefully improve the climate that we're all experiencing throughout the world. So so great spending some time with you all and uh, great to be able to discuss this important area. And hopefully it's been useful for people who are listening in. We'll catch you again soon. More to come. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye for now. Hi, I'm Sam, and I'm a competitive golfer in the U.S., as the topic of climate change comes up, I can't help but think about the impact my hobby has on the environment. I want to enjoy golf as much as possible without causing harm. And I know from researching the subject, 
that golf can either be beneficial or harmful to the environment based on how courses are managed and set up. Things like water use, inputs, wildlife preservation, equipment, and design choices. How can the golf industry use the Carbon Almanac to better understand golf's impact on the environment and the available solutions? Hi, I'm Lynn Wood, the founder and chief idea spy for Idea Spies, an open innovation platform for positive ideas happening around the world. Climate is one of our idea categories. All the ideas are explained simply so they're easily understood, and that's very important for climate. Our climate editor is Jeremy Wright, AM, and he recently wrote an article for us about climate. He says, I could start by suggesting that the climate crisis we're in and the phenomenon of global warming needs innovation, and it does, but not the sort of innovation that first comes to mind, technological innovation, because it's largely with us already, and it can take us to between 70 and 75% of the needed goal of net zero by 2035. Note that date, 2035, not 2050. The innovations we really need urgently are in our financial, governance and legal systems. That's happening now, but not nearly quickly enough. We need major disruption in these systems urgently. I hope you check it at ideaspies.com. You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect, and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.